letter of 1 John. We're going to talk about the joy of fellowship today, partnership with God, partnership with each other. And as we read, as you read, maybe some of you have never read this little letter of 1 John. Some of the newer Christians, and if you've never read, I want to encourage you to spend 20, 30 minutes of your time, um, take a little notebook with you. And as you read 1 John, just write down some questions. What comes to your mind? You might say, what in the world? <laughs> what, what, what does it mean by that? But get into this habit of just asking yourself questions as you read God's Word. And then you'll find those answers sooner or later. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now as we go into... Boy, I have a knife up here. Let me put that down. Um, as we look at this, as we introduce um, this passage today, verse 3, I want to ask you this question. What do you value most in life? What do you value in life? We, you know, a lot of times we'll think of things that we value. But if you really think of it, we value relationships. We enjoy things, right? But we value relationships. The things of life uh, are short-lived. Uh, that shiny appeal. Every one of us has longed for fill-in-the-blank. That iPad, the computer, the car, the new whatever it is. And we've all gone through that same experience of just really wanting it and getting so excited, having this new thing, and we saved for that new car, or we got into debt for that new car, and after about the, what, I don't know, fourth or fifth month of paying for it, that shiny appeal just kind of gets dull, wears off. Sometimes you think, why in the world did I go into that much debt for that certain thing? But people, relationships, it, it can just do the opposite. If we cultivate our relationships like we should, they'll grow, they'll flourish. Some of you are, who are blessed with old friends, some of you are good at making friends. You have friends that you can look back and you have relationships that go back years and you know in cultivating those relationships they've grown, they've flourished. They're dear to you. These people are dear to you after years and years. And in the marriage relationships, that bond of decade-old relationships just grows and becomes more precious and dear. Uh, my daughter, Angel, sometimes when she sees two old, old people, that's like in the, you know, uh, older than me, walking along, holding hands, she said, isn't that so cute? They're so cute. Well, what do you mean by that? It's not they're cute. They're, I, don't, I wouldn't describe them as cute. But I would describe that relationship she's talking about, that, that bond that they have, beautiful relationship that they have nurtured, nurtured over the years. And so John, in this first chapter here, the first four verses that we're, we're going to get out of it next week, maybe, but the, as we look at these first four verses, John is introducing, he is stating his purpose for a test, his testimony and his proclamation. John had something to proclaim. He had something to testify to, and he proclaimed it, as we talked about last week, 
in his writings, in his word, but also in his life, the way he lived his life. He wrote out his proclamation. He wrote out his testimony so that we would come to believe and be able to proclaim that same message in our lives and in our teachings. This proclamation was about uh, um, uh, God coming to earth as a human, taking on human form, and as a man giving his life for us. And this is what John is saying in this in his, uh, beginning. I'm going to read the first few verses together. It's on the screen. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So in these first two verses he says, I have something to tell you. And it's about a real risen Savior. I'm proclaiming to you, I'm testifying to you about this. And, and sometimes as you, if you read, read, read this you think, well that's it's kind of confusing. So I've put in a parenthetical you know, verse 2 in parentheses there. And you might understand this better if you look at that as a a parenthetical sentence there, where he's saying we proclaim this, and then when he gets to verse 3, he says, we proclaim what we have seen and heard, referring back to verse 1. I've seen something, I've heard something, and I'm proclaiming it to you, and then he gives you the reason for the proclamation. Here's the reason, not for the letter, but the reason for the proclamation. The reason that he's testifying to you, the reason he's telling you this, he says, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The reason that he had a proclamation, the reason he had a message about this real flesh and blood man named Jesus, this word of life, this eternal life, who was with the Father, in one word, fellowship. Fellowship is God's ultimate goal. Fellowship is God's ultimate goal. So we need to understand what this fellowship is. Literally, it means share in common. As you go through your Bible and look up the words, uh, the word translated, in fact, this is probably one of the two words that many Christians know in the Greek language. You know the word agape. You've seen it, you know, uh, there's an organization called agape. You may have used the word and never known what it meant. It means love. We're going to get to that later in John. But there's another word that you've probably seen, and that is koinonia. And there's a koinonia fellowship, and there you may have heard this word. What in the world does that mean? It means sharing in common. It means participating, have Share with, share in, communion, partakers, partnership. And the idea when we come to this word fellowship is a mutual, reciprocal relationship, a back and forth. It's two-way relationship. It's an act of participation. It's sharing in what one has in common with others. And so John is saying this. The goal or purpose of his message, the proclamation, is so that we will have partnership with each other and a partnership with God. This, as I meditated and thought about this this week, this is astonishing. This is amazing. We're going to get into that. You know, you think, some may say, but you know, you said God's ultimate goal is fellowship. I thought God's ultimate goal was salvation. That's what I've been taught, that God's ultimate goal is salvation. 
But we need to talk about salvation from and salvation to. Let me explain this to you. Salvation isn't necessarily an end result. It takes us from something to something. We're saved from our sins. I don't even need to quote scriptures. If you're a Christian, you know that. You know you have been saved from your sins. And if you're not a Christian and you're just hearing from the first time, you've heard that probably a thousand times. I even have agnostic and atheist friends who, who will say, I know that you believe you're, that you're saved from your sins. They don't even believe in sins. They don't even believe in salvation. So I don't have to quote scriptures of, of, of that. But once we're saved from our sins, what are we saved to? That's the question. Some think, you know, my sins are washed away. Now, I have to learn how to be good. Be a good lad. Be a good little girl. That's what you're supposed to do. And so we're saved in order to sit here, learn to be good, until Jesus comes again. And that's really hard. We're, we're like a little child. You put a little child in a room, sit him at a table, her at a table, and say, listen, if you sit here quietly until I return, I will bring you a present. What do you think that child's going to do? They're going to try really hard. But, you know, depending on the child's personality, they're going to drum their finger, they're going to start... And some will even get up and look at the door and see if you notice. And we're like that. We're, we're taught you're saved from sin. Now learn how to be good. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. And we sit there going, okay, okay, okay. Come on, Lord, come back. I'm tired of being good. We're saved from sin. And this will make a difference in your life if you can grasp this. To fellowship. We're not saved from sin in order to be good. We're saved from sin in order to have fellowship with God. We're saved, we can say, to walk with God. That's another way of saying we are to walk with God. We're in communion with Him. We're in partnership with Him. And, and that word literally means like a business partnership. We work together with Him. That's what we're saved to. Fellowship with God was what what God made man for originally. Go back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, you can read this. It says, God made everything and then He made man from the dust of the ground. You know, I, I have the privilege of sitting there and thinking. <laughs> I sat there and thought for probably 10 minutes about that one thought. And I thought for the first time, God made a man, a body that wasn't dead but wasn't alive. He created a body. And it wasn't a dead body. But it wasn't a live body. And he breathed into him his spirit. And he became a living soul. He became a living being. Triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit created a triune man. We're made of spirit, soul, and body. He created us for fellowship, to be with Him. And it says that Adam and Eve, they would walk with God. And it doesn't mean that he, they just went for a stroll. Now, they did. I think that literally means they were walking. But it's more than just taking a stroll with God in the evening, because there's nothing better to do. 
But it means being in communion with them, being in partnership with them, being in a love relationship. Adam and Eve were in a love relationship with God where there was agreement, where there was partnership, where God said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to tend the garden. And I want you to subdue the earth and rule over it. Think about that for a while. Subdue the earth and rule over it. This is before the fall, before man sinned. They were to subdue the earth and rule over it. And whatever the long-term results of that would have been, we don't know. We can speculate. We can think about it. We can say, well, it could have meant this, it could have meant that. It's fun to speculate, but that's all it is. We don't know what it would have been like. We know we lost it. We know man lost that. He sinned. He broke fellowship with God. He walked away from God, basically. And so God had to come. And this is the Bible. This is the rest of the Bible. God had to come to earth as a man to take back what man had lost. Have you ever wondered why God came as a man? Because man broke fellowship. Man had to restore relationship with him. Because man walked away from God, a man had to come back to God. And there was not a man who could do it. So God did it for us as a man. He came to save men from sin so we could have fellowship with God. But not only fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. It's all together. Let's look at this fellowship with God quickly. This fellowship with God is the focal point of our fellowship with each other. And I find it interesting that John begins this this proclamation that he says, so that you will have fellowship with us. He doesn't start with God. He starts with us. And then he says, but that's not the source of our relationship. I want fellowship with you, fellowship with each other. But the basis of that fellowship, the root of that fellowship, is that we have fellowship with God. And we have fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our fellowship with each other. And so we're going to look at the result of that fellowship and what it means when we get to verse 6 and 7. I think in two weeks. We're going to look at that. If you want to skip ahead, it's a marvelous little passage that I'm excited. I want to get to it today, but we're going to wait and do it justice in a couple of weeks. Where he says, the result of that fellowship with each other and fellowship with God is, you read 6 and 7 later on, it's foundational. But let's look at our relationship with God quickly. It's fellowship that begins with a restored relationship. We've sinned. We've walked away from God. We've broken fellowship. And it's through Christ's sacrifice that that fellowship has been restored. And then we have all those wonderful words that we looked at in December. If you were here in December, we looked at four wonderful words in the Bible. They're big words. We explain them. They're, they've become theological words, but they weren't meant to be theological words. But you may remember those words, redemption, being bought with a price, justified, uh, being made just as, we, as if we never sinned by His blood, reconciled, being made friends again through the death of His Son, Propitiation, which guess what? We're going to look at that in First John when we get to there. That big old word, propitiation. But the best place that I know that really puts all these words together is in chapter 5 of, of Romans, starting in verse 6, where he says this. Let no... Yeah, let, oh, am I in the right place? No, I'm not in the right place. Excuse me. See, I started it off and I saw I was in the wrong place. All right. Chapter 5. I was in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6. You see. No, no. Romans. Go to Romans chapter 5. There you go. Romans chapter 5. Thanks for asking. And verse 6. We're going to get to Ephesians in a minute. 
You see, I love this verse, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will one die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's reconciliation. I mean, that's redemption. Since we have been justified, made just as if we never sinned by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? You know what, the, you know what saves us from God's wrath? Propitiation. We'll get there later. But he says, he states that there. For if while we were still enemies, God's enemies, we were reconciled, there's the fourth word to him, through the death of, uh, of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, now we have reconciliation. We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We've been justified. Our sins have been propitiated. All those things happened. And you know, it's not something tentative. It's not something faltering. It's not something uncertain. Are you certain of your salvation? One of the reasons John wrote this is so you could be certain. So that you can have confidence as you stand before God. But many of us are uncertain. John later on is going to talk about love and how this salvation is rooted in love and how our relationship is going to be related, uh, rooted in this love. We're going to examine that when we get to it. But many people walk through life unsure of God's complete reconciliation, His complete love, His complete justification for us. Our fellowship is maintained through the Spirit. It begins with that restored relationship, but then it's maintained through the Spirit. Twice that I found, Paul mentions that we have fellowship through the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't explain it. He assumes it. It's just a fact. This is, this is it. It's in 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. if you want to write it down, in Philippians 2, verse 1. But the Spirit's work, in which we are participants, we're fellowshipping in, is growing in the Spirit, growing in the likeness of, of God. Let's skip over to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll just get a quick preview of, of a later lesson. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 talks, talks about this, um, where he says here, uh, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live, as he, live in him must walk this fellowship as he did. This is the Spirit's work to help us walk with, with, uh, with Jesus and become more like him. Third, fellowship matures us as we put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. You know, what is God's goal in fellowship? What does God want when we, when we have fellowship with him? Having a nice dinner, a little bit of chit-chat. Talk about some stuff together. Go home and say, you know, that was a great time. There's nothing wrong with that kind of fellowship, by the way. Eat dinner together. Have a good time. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Go home and say, I really enjoyed being with him. I really enjoyed being with her. That was, that was a great time. That's not God's goal in fellowship. God's goal in fellowship is for you to grow up to be like Jesus. That verse we just read and now Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where it's, well, we can back up to verse 14 where he says, you know, as you mature in verse 13, he says, you will then no longer be like infants tossed to and fro by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning craftiness of men, just being tossed around 
by whatever happens in your culture and whatever happens in, in, with what other people are uh, saying. He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things, grow up into him who is the head. This is God's goal in fellowship, for you to be like Jesus, to grow up into him, to begin to act like him, to begin to live like him. Our goal isn't to go to church, do the things in the right way, even though I encourage you to go to church and do things in the right way. But God is not looking at you and saying, you know, my goal for you is for you to go to church three times a week, four times, or whatever times a week he stays, and go to church in the right way. Do the right things while you're there. That's not God's goal. God's goal is for you to live worthy in the manner of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Live like Him. It's a growth in our lives of intangible things that make tangible things worthwhile. The intangible things from, um, from Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we're to grow in. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the years that I've preached here, I keep going back to... Learn to put into practice in your daily life the things of Christ. You can do religious things in a marvelous way. And God looks at you and says, could say, Pharisees, hypocrites. But he says, grow in love, in peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God wants. That's fellowship with God. But then we have fellowship with each other. And this proclamation of the real, risen, living Jesus was also for this purpose of mutual partnership, mutual fellowship. He says, we, we, I, I, I proclaim this so that we will have fellowship, you will have fellowship with us. And what is amazing is the last song we sang here, this fellowship is rooted in ancient 2,000 years ago. First century time. This is rooted in people who walked and talked with Jesus. This man wrote it down so that he can say, I am an eyewitness of this. I saw this with my own eyes. And he wrote the entire Gospel of John so that we, we, we would know and we could believe because he actually saw these things. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was over and over he saw these things. And he said, I'm convinced this man was Jesus, that was, uh, who, who is Jesus, was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's because of those deep roots and relationships that we have with the Father and His Son, we have with each other. Because we're rooted in that relationship with God, we are now rooted in a relationship with each other. I went through the New Testament. I tried to find, I tried to find every instant of this word. I found 35. There could be more. There could be, uh, you know, I don't think it's blessed, but uh, there could be more. But I found 35 in 21 of those are about our relationship with each other, our fellowship with each other, our partnership with each other. One of those ways is a fellowship and a partnership and a sharing of our finances. And it's said over and over, but it can be summed up in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, where he says this simple thing, share with God's people who are in need. Share, that's the word koinonia, partnership, fellowship. Have fellowship with those who are in need. 
And it's not talking about indiscriminate giving. It's not talking about being unwise with your funds. It says share with those who are in need, which assumes that you know someone who is in need. This is not talking about the, the normal way we do things. If someone just shows up and says, I'm in need. I need something paid. I need this happen. I need no, this is talking about we're based in a relationship with God's people and we find out that person needs something. Not because they so much asked for it, but because it became obvious because you have a relationship with them. You go over to their house, you're with them, and you find out the electricity's off. Well, do you have, you're having problems here? What, the electricity? Oh, uh, yeah. I couldn't pay the bill. Share with those in need, not because they come to you and say, hey, pay my bills, pay my bills, I'm in need. But because there's a relationship with one another. And we're taking care of one another because we know one another. Someone who doesn't have food, we know it and we bring them the food. Share with those who are in need. And then there's this partnership with the, in the gospel. In Philippians, we'll see this uh, in a beautiful way. Philippians chapter 1, and that one of those verses is wrong. That should be 127 and not 227 on your screen. But Philippians 1, let me read verse 5 here, where he says, um, in all my, he's talking about in his prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your fellowship in the gospel for the fir- from the first day until now. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel, and we're sharing the gospel together, but the gospel is we're saved from sin and we're saved from to fellowship. There's a relationship here. There's something going on here. And he goes on and really and he explains that. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's changing your life. He's changing you to be a different person. He's helping you mature in Christ. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This is how it happens in your life, this fellowship that's working in your life. And then in verse uh, 27, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself, conduct your life, some of these translation says, walk your life, spend your life in a manner worthy of the good news, the gospel of Christ. Yes, I'm saved from sin. It's a great thing. And that's the beginning. But I'm saved to a relationship with God. Fellowship with God and fellowship with you. It's more than just preaching the gospel. It's living the gospel. This fellowship with God and His Son brings about joy. I write this so that your joy will be made full. And you may sit here and think, well, how in the world is being in a relationship with God joyful? If you've been asleep, I encourage you to wake up for two reasons. We're about to end. And I want you to be embarrassed when we all start singing and you wake up. But of everything I said, I think this is the most important thing. I could have just come right here today, but then I wouldn't be in First John. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. When you understand God's attitude toward you, That you are brought into fellowship and a relationship and a partnership with God. If you understand who God is, this will bring astonishing joy. This will bring amazing joy. 
This will be beyond belief. What I'm going to share with you is hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to explain. So I'm going to let Jesus do it. There's three parables in in Luke chapter 15. Many of you have read these. Many of you are familiar with it. But there's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it. It's really marvelous, and you can read it with thought. And in these three stories, it's trying to picture God as the shepherd, God as the woman, and God as the father in each of the three stories. You are the lost coin. You are the lost sheep. You are the lost sons. Oh, one son was lost. He ran away. One son was lost in his bad attitude. He stayed home, did everything right. But he was as lost as the other one, didn't know it. The lost sons. And these three parables are designed by Jesus to show you God's attitude towards you. This is how God thinks of you. This is how he thinks towards sinners, and he introduces it this way. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Some of you can relate to tax collectors and sinners. Sinners, you're bad people. You know you're bad. You do bad things. You, you have lived awful Lives and you've done things you should not have done, and you knew it. You spiritually stinking, you know it. He's talking to some of these people, and then there was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. These are the churchgoers. These people went to church. These people read their Bible. They studied their Bible. And he says, this man welcomes these sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus is telling this story not for the not for the tax collectors and sinners. But he's telling it for the tax collectors, sinners, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. He's telling it for the whole group. You think you're better than everyone else? I want to tell you three stories. And I'm not going to read the stories. You read them on your own. But there's about one story about a sheep that got lost. And the good shepherd, Jesus, God, goes out and finds that sheep. We could spend a whole lesson on... Go, he went down. He put himself in danger. He went... He. He, he was put out. He had to go uh, through the, all the dangerous places that the sheep went. He had to search for him. He had to spend time with him trying to find the sheep. This sheep was a knucklehead. It, 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 uh, it, um, it's frustrating finding a lost sheep. And God went after him. And notice this. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. That's God. What would I do? I'd get that sheep and I'd say, You know, do that again next barbecue. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to let that happen again. That's not God. That's people. That's how we treat sin. God says he joyfully puts it on it on his shoulders. And he comes and says, come on, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and the 99 who don't need it. 
You ever heard this phrase when someone becomes a Christian or someone comes back to the Lord? Ah, the angels are rejoicing in heaven. We get that from the next story, and David Nance pointed this out to me. This is God. Look at this picture. I, I love this artist, by the way. This is Tissot, James Tissot, in the 18, late 1800s. There's a series of watercolors that are just absolutely marvelous. The only thing I don't like about his stuff is his portrayal of Jesus, but that's a different, that's an artist's stuff. All right. But look at God on the floor looking for you. That's God. Looking for you, searching for you, sweeping every, looking under every little thing, searching for something that's valuable. I need my coins. I need you looking for you. And he says here, when she finally finds these coins, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin in the same way. Listen carefully. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who's rejoicing? Oh, we say the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Why are the angels in heaven rejoicing? Because God's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. It's God who's up there rejoicing. What do you do if you're an angel if God's rejoicing? You better rejoice. You know, I grew up, and I grew up in a good Christian family. And David, maybe you can relate to this, because David grew up in a good Christian family, and we both had the same idea about God here. The angels are rejoicing in heaven. They're having this big party, and God's sitting there waiting for the party to get over. He's letting it happen. He's not too happy about it, maybe. He's waiting till you know you get finished, and so you know he's, he's a little stern. He's, I don't know. You know he, I, that's the picture I got of God. Growing up in a good Christian home, I grow up thinking God is sitting there waiting. Well, the angels are having a good time, and when they're finished, now it's going to be time to get down to business. That's not what this parable is saying. This parable says God is the one rejoices in the presence of the angels. He's the one jumping up and down. And if you don't believe me, look at the next parable. This is a marvelous one. This is astonishing. Son says, give me my inheritance. He goes off. You think the father didn't know what he was going to do with his inheritance? He takes off. He does everything bad. He spends it all. He wastes it on this and that and ends up in a pigsty. And he decides, he figures, man, I just should go home and be a slave. That's what I need to be. I just need to be a slave in my father's home. Not a son, a slave. And as he's coming down the road, it says the father saw him while he was a long ways off, and he runs out to him. And the man, the boy starts his little thing. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he stops him. If you read what he had planned to say, he stops him in the middle of it. And he's, he doesn't even, he's not even listening to his son. He says, quit, hurry. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Why? Because he wanted him to be clothed when he went into the farmyard, when he went home. Clothe that boy. He's got a bunch of pig clothes on, dirty. Put some clothes on him because when we go to in home, I don't want people to say, oh, look at, look at the boy. He's come back. What a stinky boy. Stinky scent. Put the best robe on him. Put Jesus on him is what that's saying. The best robe and put some shoes on his feet. Put some sandals on his feet. Slaves walk around with their with their bare feet. You're not a slave. Put on some put on some uh, shoes here. Some sandals on your feet. Put a ring on his finger. 
You know what that is? Let me show you my ring. There it is. That's a father's ring right there in the first century. Credit card. Really, that's the father. That's what a ring was. Because he could go to the store and says, you know, I want that and that and that. How are you going to pay for it? Here's my ring. Here's my. Put it in the, in the wax. And that shows he owes this much money. He says, you're going to need some new clothes. You're going to need to get some new stuff. Put a ring on your finger. Here, here's my credit card. And quick, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. That's what God says. My son, let's have a feast and celebrate. I don't know how your feasts are. I don't know how you celebrate. But God has to feast and celebrate over you. And this is God, not me. Because the older son, when he came, he came to their house and he heard music and dancing. Yeah, they're dancing. I'm not going to dance for you. This is God dancing. Music. When you come home, when you're a part of his family, he's up and down. He's jumping up and down. Come rejoice me. Come on, let's have a party. Let's eat. Let's dance. Let's have a good time. I want fellowship with you. Fellowship with you. I want partnership. I want to be in agreement with you. I want you home. I want you with me. We're not talking about sitting around and having a Bible study fellowship, even though I like Bible studies. That kind of fellowship. We're not talking about the fellowship that you're sitting there going, oh man, I wish this was over. This is a party fellowship. This is, this is fun. This is a celebration. This is music. This is dancing. And many of us are like the older son. Never gave me a party. I never look what I've done for you all this life. I've worked and worked and I never squandered anything. I never did anything. I went to church since I was six weeks old. And what do I get from it? And the father says, We've had we've had this all. You have everything I have. You've missed it. You've sat here right here in the midst of it, and you've missed it. That's the danger of Christians, of believers, of people like me who grew up in the church, is missing the party. We've missed the party. And he says, this is the reason I wrote this, John says. He says, I I proclaim this message so we can have fellowship with God. We can have a party with God. We can have this wonderful relationship with God. We can be in a restored relationship with Him and with each other. We're working together, growing to be more like Him, growing up into Christ, because it's a great thing, it's a wonderful thing. And God's rejoicing over us. He's jumping up and down in heaven. He's having a party in heaven when you come back, when you leave and you come back. And He's having, I think, a party because you're there, because you're in fellowship with Him. God, the party maker. That's His attitude. We're the party poopers sometimes, aren't we? But God's not. Do you believe what you just sung? How deep the Father's love for us. Do you believe that? Did you believe it? Did you pay attention while you were singing it? That's what this, these parables are all about. 
God loves you so much. Yeah, you stink like a pig. Yeah, you do. Every one of us. And he says, oh, we're going to clean you up. We're going to make you what you should be. That stinky sin. You know, I, mean, I wish I could go into more depth of this. He grabbed that boy who stunk like a pig. He took that smell on himself. Kissed his dirty face. Had to clean his face off with his tears. Stinky mud. Pig mud all over him. And rejoice that he was home. Fellowship with God. No wonder. John said, I almost said Paul. John said, I write this so that your joy will be to the full. That's what we have in store for the rest of First John. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm excited about it. It's beginning to come together in my mind. Most people who are sitting here